This is Research Software Engineer Stories, coming straight at you from USRSC, the US Research Software Engineer Association. Welcome to RSC Stories. Today I'm joined by Bob Killen, who has a monster truck full of titles. Bob, it looks like you are a research cloud admin at the University of Michigan, a cloud native computing foundation ambassador, and a board member and advocate for several open source communities. I'm really excited to be chatting with you today because I've seen you fly across some of my Slack channels and you're this mysterious person that I've always wanted to meet. (laughs) So hi. Hello. Since there are so many things that you're involved in, let's start off with you telling us how you define and see yourself. What do you see as your main jobs and what do you really care about? At the University of Michigan itself, as you said, I'm a research cloud administrator. And the group that I work for, ARC, Advanced Research Computing, handles the computational needs for the entire University of Michigan. And within our group, we have our own sort of cloud computing team. And that is the team that I'm on. We operate a sort of on-prem virtualization system, as well as we have a small presence in every cloud provider because, well, these days a lot of grants actually come with cloud credits. And so with that aspect, most of my job is on the sort of operation side and supporting the research workloads that our researchers are trying to, to uh, spin up both you know, within our virtualization environment or in one of the, the cloud providers. There's been a fairly like large adoption of containers in that sort of ecosystem just because they're you know much more universally portable. You don't have to mess with virtual machine templates or learning to know like the Terraform providers for a specific cloud provider. If you get to know containers and Kubernetes, it's pretty universal. Within the CNCF world, I became an ambassador a couple of years ago now when the University of Michigan actually joined as a end user member. I think we were the, the second academic member to join. My goal was much more in the advocacy and pushing for general adoption of containers and sort of cloud native practices, both in the research side and the academic support side. My major focus there has been academic outreach, just because there's been a lot of benefits that we've seen both in the sort of private sector and sort of commercial sides and adoption of containers. And a lot of those practices can be applied, the DevOps or GitOps style practices and containers as code, now moving to research as code and getting those sort of pushed out to the academic community. The last big one these days is Kubernetes itself. I am actually a chair of the Contributor Experience Special Interest Group, where our focus is actually on improving and helping out the contributor like onboarding path and, and making the contributor experience easy and worthwhile for everyone. I sort of got on board with that a year and a half ago, I think now, and just sort of like dived right in, but sort of gives you the, the gambit of it all. So you gave us a lot to talk about. Before I start asking you questions about Kubernetes, Let's go back in time a little bit because you probably weren't like a a 12-year-old and you probably didn't say when you were younger, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a research cloud admin. So I'm interested to hear how you got started and interested in either software engineering or programming or just research in general. Originally, I wasn't going to go into computers at all and just sort of pivoted that way when I was younger, but back in... 2002, I got a internship at the University of Michigan in the pathology department. My background is actually pathology and health system. 
and they essentially liked what I did so much that they hired me on and I sort of dived into cloud computing and virtualization in support of clinical and research workloads in the health system. And back in 2011, VMware had a product called like vCloud Administrator, which sort of lets you do all those fun cloud things on-prem with like nested networks, a whole slew of that stuff. And got on board with that right quick and sort of really exploded from there. My background is less programmer, more ops person, but in that environment, we were using that system to support both our clinical and research workloads. And then in 2014, my coworker, Jeff Sika, dived down hard on containers. We, we were running clinical and research workloads on Mesos and got involved in Kubernetes. And then in 2016, both he and I left the pathology department to go over to ARC, where we decided to pivot and focus on research full-time. When you were first diving into Mesos and a little bit of Kubernetes, sort of in the early days of containers, you weren't yet on this cloud team. When I think of traditional research computing, I don't think of cloud. I don't think of cloud native. So I'm wondering what it looked like at your institution when this transition happened between when people were sort of doing most things on-prem to when people started saying, you know, we really need container clusters and we need to change and how that eventually turned into cloud native and having an entire team of cloud folks. The reason like it actually came about is in my current department, ARC, a Michigan company gave us a grant which included a virtualization system and a whole slew of hardware. And the idea behind it is like our group has historically been, you know, a classic HPC shop. But even back then, there's been a growing demand for other workloads that didn't quite align with your standard HPC. People wanted to spin up databases, do more things with Jupyter Notebooks. And while you could do things like that on an HPC system, it was much more hacky. And spinning up VMs made that easier. But that was also creating more of a management problem. Whereas with containers, it was much easier for us to sort of create a library and offer a whole slew of research applications as a service to our researchers. So you basically got a bunch of money so that you could build a new cluster, essentially. What was the first technology that you deployed and what have been challenges over the years? We first tried Kubernetes. It was kind of rough and had some problems. And we decided to actually go with Rancher just because it's like nice UI. It is something that we could hand off to our researchers and they could self-provision what they wanted to with the slew of recipes that we made. But as we had sort of gone from that, we ran into a whole slew of limitations with Rancher and Kubernetes was like picking up steam. So we jumped back to Kubernetes. I've sort of been through the gambit of Docker, Docker Swarm, Mesos, Kubernetes, Rancher, and Kubernetes was sort of the thing that won in the end. Okay, so just to clarify, if there is a center today that gets a bunch of funding and they're going to make a cluster, you would recommend that they deploy Kubernetes? Oh yeah, I will not lie. There is a huge learning curve involved with it because it's essentially like implementing a cloud provider with a whole slew of like new primitives. But like once you sort of get past a lot of those hurdles, it's very much worthwhile. Awesome. So we're sort of entering into this really interesting space because we're talking about open source communities, but we're also talking about containers and open source software and traditional HPC. Where do you see those worlds intersecting? What I'm ultimately sort of interested in is 
how you maybe define yourself. So do you see yourself as a cloud engineer, as a research software engineer, as an HPC admin, or some combination of all three? These days, not so much an HPC admin. My experience there is actually pretty minimal, to be honest. I guess cloud research engineer. The big thing that we get with Kubernetes is a very large amount of flexibility. You know, you don't like the scheduler, that's fine, toss it out and you can run another one. Kubernetes by itself doesn't lend itself to HPC style workloads, but you can plug something in to sort of make it work better for HPC style workloads. And I'm realizing now as I'm talking sort of diverged from the original goal and start talking about Kubernetes again. <laughs> no, it's totally okay. What do you think are the differences between a research software engineer and then a cloud engineer? Or would you say that a cloud engineer is a subset of research software engineer? The big difference is most cloud engineers are not going to deal with the job style workflows that we get in the research world. So in the research world where you'll deal with thousands, hundreds of thousands of jobs and less persistent services, or if we are spinning up persistent services, they are there to support jobs and workflows. A lot more things like Kafka or Flink or Spark, they're there to basically run a job or help run a job. And that's something that the general, I would say cloud engineer isn't necessarily gonna be doing. It's getting a bit more fuzzy, especially with you know the world of like ML ops and things like Kubeflow as more businesses are interested in AI and machine learning to help improve their own internal workflows or their own practices. It's going to be an interesting world. ML ops is definitely becoming a thing now. It's very fluid, I would guess, or I would say. Yeah, one of the interesting intersections I suppose I've seen is in with respect to workflow managers that actually will work seamlessly across some old job schedulers, you know, Slurm, SG, but they'll also work to submit to different cloud services as well. One thing that I've seen with, with some of those is that when submitting to like the clouds or submitting to Kubernetes, it's only a very like basic job or very basic workflow. The big interesting thing that we're seeing in sort of the merging of sort of the cloud world and the research world is much more event-based workflows. So, you know, in your classic HPC, you basically submit a job, it goes into a queue and you might get it later. It could be later today, it could be in weeks, but in the cloud world, Yes, you might still have that, but you're also going to be much more reactive where an event might happen and that triggers a huge complex workflow to retrain an algorithm or do something of that, or something similar to that. Yeah, I think I know what you mean, more sort of notification or, or message based where you have one service listening and another service sending out and it being less like, okay, I'm going to send off this queue of a thousand jobs now, get ready or not. Yep. <laughs> The other big thing is there's a lot less staging of jobs and you're not riding up against like a max wall time or something like that. And so a lot more broken down into smaller jobs, at least if possible. And I'm guessing because you are hosting your own clusters that you're not running into any cost issues. Yeah. Yeah. That is another big thing for any sort of research center, at least I would say large research center. If you can fill your cluster up, it makes no sense to run in the cloud providers. It's definitely better investing in a good data center on-prem someplace. Where things do sort of come up and it gets more fuzzy is if you have, again, so that either event-based workflow or you have a lot of sort of geo-distributed data. And if your events aren't firing all the time, then you can scale down and run like a minimal cluster for a brief period of time 
And as the workload comes in, it just consumes what's needed and then scales back down again. Math can get pretty funky. Interesting. So for a quick jump to a slightly different topic, what open source communities other than Kubernetes do you most often interact with? Outside of Kubernetes is the CNCF and the CNCF ecosystem. I'm involved a little bit more in Prometheus, OCI, generally that space. One thing that, that I've noticed about some of these communities that tend to be larger with many more people is that sometimes there's more hype than you might see in sort of a more smaller scientific community. What is a strategy that you have to separate hype from true signal that, for example, something is really great or worth looking into? Ooh, that's a tough one. Don't necessarily have good signal, but I guess their docs are actually like technical enough. I can start spinning up and playing with it. I, I can't tell you like how many times I've found something interesting, like spun up a head with it and then just be like, oh, this is no longer like worth my time or something like that. Or like, ooh, this is interesting and I'll spend more time diving down that path. Okay, so this is a little bit of a harder question, but this is something I'm definitely interested in asking you. One thing that I've noticed over time about a lot of these sort of emerging technologies and cloud native is that you might argue that they're sort of a resource of privilege. So you either need to be at an institution that is large enough and great enough to be able to have a cluster like Kubernetes, or you need to be able to, you know, invest in a cloud provider to provide it. So let's say that you're a researcher that doesn't have either of those two things, or you're a software engineer and you want to get involved with either developing or creating containers to run. How do you go about doing that? If you're looking to develop for something like that, the local development cost is pretty minimal, especially with things like Kind, where you can spin up a full cluster locally as long as you just have Docker installed. So if you want to experiment with it, as long as your workstation or a laptop is capable of running the workload that you want to, you should be okay. Beyond that, a lot of the groups like Google has a bunch of free credits. And if you are a researcher, they're pretty open with offering like some of their TPU credits. I don't know Amazon as well or Azure. Most of my interactions have honestly been with, in that space have been through Google. That is definitely reasonable. For some of our users, they probably aren't familiar with CNCF or the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And actually, let's, let's even go back further from there. What the heck does it mean to be cloud native? So for me, cloud native is generally centered around containers and immutable or ephemeral infrastructure. Containers is really like the poster child for it. If it's sort of a container-centric workflow, then I would consider that more cloud native. So do you think it's the case that centers, you know, larger HPC centers sort of need to adopt to this changing landscape in terms of embracing cloud native. And I ask this because in my experience, I've seen always a fight between on-prem versus cloud. And some centers seem to be hugely embracing of it and others are just like, oh, this is the way we do things. We're not changing. I think it's definitely going to be something that they're going to have to deal with eventually to continue to be able to support what the researchers want to do. One of the big things that we've seen, especially our students, is they don't necessarily want to interact with Slurm or something like, or another workload manager. They would much rather have a Jupyter notebook. And again, yes, you can run this sort of stuff on top of your classic HPC workload manager, but these really lend themselves well 
to running in containers and being able to spin them up anywhere. And I think as more people want that and then see sort of all the tooling that's being built in there that makes the general management of the research lifecycle easier, they're going to have to at least investigate and probably spin something up, whether it's in cloud or on-prem. I think they're going to have to, to spin up and play with something at some point. So if I am a research software engineer and I'm interested in getting started, would you recommend starting with something like Kind? First, like if they're if they have a good foundation in with like containers, then Kind would be a great thing to get up and going just to play with Kubernetes. And there's a whole slew of tutorials just to like learn the basics. If you don't have the resources available to spin up Kind locally, there is a several good resources uh, that will allow you to like spin up a Kubernetes cluster and play with it without having to make that investment in resources. I believe it's Katakoda. Katakoda also has, I believe, things for like Kubeflow and Jupyter notebooks as well. What do you think are the biggest challenges moving forward for your community or what are you most excited about? challenges <laughs> POSIX, but <laughs> there are definite issues with sort of moving from a place where you're logging into an HPC system and you have a POSIX identity and this works great if you have a large shared file system that and sort of the cloud native or container centric way of dealing with things don't mesh too well there are container technologies like singularity that do bridge that but the sort of other orchestration technologies don't have a good way of sort of understanding POSIX and passing that information. If you're logging into Kubernetes, you can't just automatically run a container as your POSIX identity without a whole lot of glue and other things. For the cloud-native world, it's less about that and more about API identity and who or what you're running as in that sense. So we're coming up on time. I'll ask you a few non-standard <laughs> questions. I really like GitHub usernames, and I noticed your username is Mr. Bobby Tables, and I think I know where that derives from, but I wanted to ask you to maybe tell the story and add in case there's something additionally funny okay. around that. Its origin is in Little Bobby Tables' XKCD strip, where Little Bobby Tables is a nickname for a child in the, I think it's like drop table semicolon or something like that. It's a pretty famous strip. And in a past life, I used to be more of a security guy and my name is Bob. So it just sort of, you know, worked out. It tends to give people a chuckle when they see me around in the various places in GitHub or Slack. I saw your username and I immediately thought of that. It's XKCD number 327. <laughs> It's one of the classic ones that you always think of, and it's a great username. So is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to touch on, comment, sing about? I will give a call to action slash shout out for the CNCF research user group. Our goal is to essentially improve the research experience in the cloud native ecosystem. And one of the things we're doing right now is assembling a book on the various stories and best practices that people have encountered. Uh, one of the big ones that people have been challenged with is how to actually like, deal with large clusters. So if people have experience in any of that stuff, there's a slew of GitHub issues in it's github.com slash CNCF slash research dash user dash group. 
please take a look at that. You can join in our calls, pop on, you know, toss something on the agenda, and we would love to hear from you. Oh, awesome. So would this be something that a research software engineer could be helpful with? Oh, yeah. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. So, Bob, it was awesome talking to you, finally meeting you virtually over this chat. The work that you do is really awesome, and I still haven't figured out how to get as involved with some of these larger container orchestration communities as I'd like to. I'm going to keep trying, though, because it's I love containers and everything about them, and I hope that I get to work with you some more in the future. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Cool. I hope you... Stay safe, wash your hands, and all those good things. <laughs> yep, you too. Take care. Bye.